Welcome to Media Roots Radio. This is Abby Martin. This is Bobby Martin. We're together up north in Oakland um, for Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving, everyone. <laughs> Happy Thanksgiving. Um, Hope everybody's been able to tolerate their family. Yeah. And their extended family. I know. I couldn't, we couldn't resist. We had to get in a fight on Thanksgiving with the one Trump-supporting relative. But, oh well, I'm pretty sure that that's how it goes. <laughs> it's hard not to... Not to have stuff like that come out, I guess. But it's fun because uh, even when we had more Trump or Republican relatives coming to our Thanksgiving, uh, we were always able to like out argue them because their only retort was always like talking about Democrats. Mm-hmm. So we hate Democrats too. <laughs> so we just we just like they can never like beat us in an argument. Yeah, <laughs> I mean it's just so sad now to see the partisanship come to this peak where it's so impossible to talk to people if you come from where we're coming from which is like a vehement hatred of democrats and neoliberalism and so to talk to trump supporters now it's almost like you're engaging with people who believe in in a mass hallucination um there's a mass hallucinatory element to the cult of personality around trump and like just the fake news phenomenon of him just saying whatever like for example the time magazine thing um, it doesn't matter what the truth is. It doesn't matter mm-hmm. what is reality. It's just that this is, you know, he's he's throwing meat to his base and they just reinforce it. And I just saw James Woods even just like talking about Sarah Huckabee and being and, and basically saying she's the best thing, the best pioneer of journalism like this country's ever seen. And it's just like we're talking about a literal like stenographer who is only relevant because her dad is Mike Huckabee. Yeah. She's super bizarre. She like goes out there and, and DPRK style reads like adulation letters to the president. Her brother literally <laughs> strung up a dog by the neck from a rope from a tree and hung it until it was dead. This is very well documented. But Robbie, she's such a pioneer of, of modern journalism. So it's just these people just talk to themselves. It's it's the most grotesque feedback loop and echo chamber I've ever seen. And I don't know if it's just worse now because we survived eight years of Obama and thought that we were making grounds with some of these people. And that's part of it. It's just so distressing to see how much hatred of the democratic party comes from bizarre, completely non-moralistic like things. Um, I mean, it's just sad that people really don't have a moral compass and any sort of like values, intrinsic values that can supersede party lines. It's just, absolutely nuts and there's this mass hallucination going on on both sides of the aisle the democrats with the russiagate stuff and republicans just uh adoring everything trump does and and you know but even the i was talking to mom about this a couple days ago that even the republicans who don't idolize trump Mm -hmm. like let's say trump just out of office i feel like they've gotten themselves into such a frenzy that the mass hallucination is also just like this imagination or projection of what the left is. Right. And that's like almost like more of a important driving force than Trump. Trump, Trump creates this other side to like reinforce them and make them feel like they're, they're even hallucinating less. Like they're more Mm -hmm. like, Oh, we have a guy now who's like saying the shit we feel, you know, that's how all these idiot conservatives look at it. Uh, So I think that, I mean, the mass hallucination is, I mean, is really happening because, yeah, they imagine the Republic. I mean, people on the right right now, they imagine the left to include all these neoliberal Democrats and Antifa are like part of the same thing. <laughs> right. 
Their hyperbolic language has put them in a position where, like, Sean Hannity calling Obama a radical leftist and a communist for so many years has just become, like, reality that that's the norm now. Just this, like, hyperbolic conflation of everything together, mm-hmm. you know? Like, trans rights means that they're going to try to, like, turn your kids gay or trans. Like, that's, it's just like they make, it's like they, you know, mash up, like, to, you know, even if there's, like, some crazy college professor saying, you know, we should give, you know, kids at like the age of two, the choice to change their genders. And it's like only one guy, they, they make want to like conflate that one guy with like the entire like issue of like trans rights. And that's the Breitbart and Drudge mantra. And and that's their whole thing. Or the knockout game. Exactly. Just just hyper focusing on one issue and conflating it with, this is what all liberals think. This is what the left is and represents. And, and it make, and and even just the knockout game, like seeing 10 videos in a row you know, in a span of a couple months on the front page of Drudge of black youths knocking Mm -hmm. out people on CCTV cameras. There's like so many people in this country, sadly, who will now are now afraid of that that's going to happen to them when they see black youths like walking up to them. Like that's how nuts this mass hallucination is. I mean, I'm just sick of, I don't, I don't subscribe to identity politics, A, because I'm white and a privileged sector of society, right? As a white woman, um, so I, I, but I feel like I would more if I was, if I was black or Latino or, you know, or transgender or a group that was basically under threat consistently, um, and, and under intimidation, but because I don't, I, I can see identity politics for what they are and how they're used and, and co-opted to advance actually really destructive agendas, basically hijacking this revolutionary language and ideas. But at the same time, it is fascinating how the pendulum swung to the right using identity politics as a way, a wave of backlash to elect Trump on white identity politics. I know we've talked about this before, but it's just fascinating That's that absolutely he fascinating. literally won on reclaiming white identity politics um, and becoming a white victim, white male victimization. And, and you see people like Ben Shapiro, their rise in popularity coincides with this whole movement and that's and when you look at the nitty-gritty of his arguments the whole thing like how to destroy the left in 11 seconds or whatever his dumbass book um all he does is, is that like just continue to reinforce how like white men have really built the institutions of this country it's like yeah but you're not analyzing why is that <laughs> mm-hmm. you know it's just it's it's just almost like the sam harris argument where you can just like look at like a fact and be like well white men built this therefore we're we're better it's like well there's a there's multitude of reasons why white men were in the position to be able to influence these structures more, et cetera, et cetera. But it's just stunning that, you know, you see the New York Times so-called paper of record amidst this Russia hysteria about Russia brainwashing us to just give these glowing exposés to people like Ben Shapiro. And did you see that calling him the gladiator of like, no, I did not. No. It's just, Where was it? Just it was like absolutely in the New York vile. Times? Yeah, it was in New York Times on Thanksgiving day. Well, they, they, um, I mean, they, it's, they want to, yeah, for some reason, the mainstream media seems like they are interested in raising the profile of some of these even really fringy right figures oh, yeah. like Mike Cernovich. Yeah. I'll never forget when Olivia Nunzi, Newsy, I mean, they didn't did say that expose. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Back it was a, it was her, too. Well, she loves Ann Coulter. You yeah. see, she, you can find her old tweets basically praising her and begging her to talk to her at CPAC from years ago. It's extremely embarrassing. But Cernovich, she did a glowing expose, didn't mention that he was a celebrity rapist and didn't mention that he was like the main person promoting Pizzagate. Like, can you imagine the New York Times doing an expose on you or me and just omitting 
just forgetting to mention (laughs) the most controversial aspects about, you know, what delegitimizes us to mainstream people. So it's a very interesting trajectory to see people being uplifted like Ben Shapiro, like Mike Cernovich. But man, the mass hallucination thing is it's difficult because it's we're just treading a lot of difficult territory here where we just are trying to stay on the right side of history and stay logical and be a critical thinker amidst literally mass hallucinations going on all around us, um, including from the mainstream media. So, Well, and just really quickly, like even just in the Antifa angle, like like the how riled up people got about that, you know, that Antifa, you know, would, you know, there'd be like street battles where Antifa would be beating up Trump, you know, Trump supporters and, and white supremacists like neo-Nazis and stuff like that. Um, the, it just, that's another example of the mass hallucination because even that kind of stuff, I had very mixed feelings about it and I, you know, and it's happening so close to where I live, some of it, but at the same time, like you can't even, even you can't even argue, yeah, there's violence on both sides, you know, like that's already a sort of a false argument because like most of the people in general aren't being violent anyways, like most of the protesters are just there. So it's like it creates this it creates false framing already. But then when you start realizing how like conservatives react to that sort of media coverage of Antifa and how upset they get about it and how violently minded they are about it, like already, like we're already a year into Trump's presidency and there's regular conservatives like Antifa tends to be more radicalized people on the fringe of politics. But you see regular conservatives now responding to Antifa wearing like shirts where they're like throwing Antifa like out of helicopters and like free helicopter rides to Antifa, kill a commie for mommy. There's normal, when I say normal conservatives, I don't mean like people who are just like, I vote Republican every, no, it's no. the all I lives mean, splatter I mean, could be people who yeah. blind to the conservative ideology who like hate the left, that this is sort of like the politics that drives them. I think, I mean, I think that's what I really mean by conservatives, like not people who just vote conservative. Right. Because I feel like those kind of people tend to just be more normal. They don't, they're just not plugged in as much to politics. But yeah, it's really scary when you see just how reactionary people are. And again, it reveals that like regular conservative people who watch Fox News are sort sort of already indoctrinated into this idea that the other side is so violent that now they deserve death. Like the other side meaning the entirety of the left. Because as we know... Diane Feinstein and Nancy Pelosi are anti-apologists and all this weird shit. It's like, what? Even though they haven't mentioned the J-20 arrests once. Yeah. It's like just like saying Obama's a hardcore radical leftist like communist. Yeah, it is I mean, It is really everything scary. Everything just gets conflated. Similarly to the Chris Kyle phenomenon of the fuck Chris Kyle meme and then seeing the, um, you know, getting trounced by Chris Kyle supporters, basically likening the left to ISIS and having similar sentiments about wanting to torture the barbarism and sadism that goes against what they want to do to the left, what they want to do to leftist oh, yeah. women and females. Very similar to yeah. ISIS rhetoric. I hate the term white ISIS, but I think in that in that example, it applied perfectly because there were people telling you like they were going to cut your clit off and stuff. Yeah. Like, no, yeah. literally using language that like they... And then on another day, different day, they would be talking and like posting a Pamela Geller article about yeah. that, talking about how awful it is. I mean, it's honestly <laughs> the the best example is just how Trump said, you know, Pence wants to really hang gay people. And he's not joking because Pence is that 
he is like symbolic of of a Christianized ISIS mentality that if he really had his way legislatively and in a perfect society, it would be Handmaiden's Tale where you'd have gay people hanging from trees and women not being able to be in the same room with, you know, with men. You know, it's 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 a very scary thing that this man is this close to the president and, you know, just the whole evangelical movement. Uh, one really quick comment, Robbie, that I wanted to mention about the free speech thing on campuses, while the mainstream media is focused on these Antifa battles and hyping up Antifa as like this huge thing and feeding into the conservative conservative fear about it. Meanwhile, while all this is happening, here's a little censored story from Project Censored's list this year, number 13. Right-wing conservative billionaires are basically trying to push legislation in multiple states that will preemptively ban any protests against these people. So under the clause and, you know, free speech banner, they are trying to pass laws that say if you protest one of these speakers that comes to the campus, you can be expelled from school. So shouldn't that be, I mean, that, that to me is an actual infringement on free speech. Like if I want to protest a speaker or heckle someone because I think they're a neo-Nazi and endangering fellow students who might be transgender or undocumented, that's my right. Um, just like it's their right supposedly to speak on campus. So it's just amazing to me that we don't hear a peep about actual billionaires backing think tanks like Alec pushing legislation that will ban protests and expel students for trying to organize them. It's called the Campus Free Speech Act. And, you know, I uh, this reactionary language got to me too, Robbie. As much as I am an unabashed leftist and sympathetic with socialism, communism, all the like, and I really do think capitalism is the main driver and the main problem facing our world today, I got called a Nazi sympathizer um, by someone for simply saying I didn't think Ron Paul was a Nazi. Oh, yeah. So this is it's it's super dangerous, this language. I mean, to to go after someone like me and you. Yeah. Well, th- this as is... Nazi sympathizers or collaborators. Sorry, yeah. it was even yeah, worse. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, well, I mean, we're in some really dangerous territory right now. It, that That is see, it is moments like that where I do worry that even the rhetoric on, you know, by people who are self-described leftists is going way too far and is. Um, yeah, it's lumping a lot of stuff in together. I mean, it's, it's fine if you, you know, you think Ron Paul's a racist and you, you know, you think he's too libertarian and you, and whatever. Um, but to say he's a Nazi. Right. And to say people say that they would work with him in a voting block. Like I was using the example of Dennis Kucinich working with him in a block to oppose war. He was like, then you're a Nazi collaborator. I mean, one, another example is like Rand Paul, like, he tried to get you fired from your job. Yeah. You know, we, we have a lot of like reasons, personal and political to dislike <laughs> him. But when he, if he like wrote a bill to like stop some war or, or surveillance, something, I get totally behind it. Yeah. I don't care. I'm not, it doesn't matter if he's like, I mean, so yeah, once you're actually in a legislative position, you can make laws and stuff like, yeah, I might post like something of Rand Paul's, if I happen to agree with them on that issue, that doesn't mean the, but then also like, yeah, it's just, it's, it's really upsetting. And I think, and it, and it also does sort of maybe to people who can't, who don't understand the, the lineage of like Ron Paul and anti-war and stuff to think that, you know, 
well, why is it okay that we promote Ron, uh, Ron Paul or we like or speak positively about Ron Paul, but then like other people on the left can't speak positively of Mike Cernovich? Well, here's the big difference is that Mike Cernovich isn't anti-war. That's very pretty simple. But there are all these weird people out there who somehow think that Mike Cernovich is anti-war, just like they think Ann Coulter is anti-war now because Ann Coulter hates the neocons and she started talking about neocons. You know, and it's like, well, that's he's just jumping on a bandwagon. Ron Paul, whatever you think about him, he has he is been and has been anti-war consistently for his entire career that I've known of. And that's like his primary focus, even beyond like like he didn't even spend much time talking about the economy, like on his like Ron Paul Liberty Report. He's one of the only libertarians who spends most of his time, besides Scott and Horton. He's been staunchly to, anti-Saudi Arabia, anti-Israel in terms yeah. of funding and you know fostering them militarily. Absolutely. But I think it really does point to a huge problem with the language and reactionary politics of both sides. And I will both sides this argument because it happened to me. Um, it is happening way more on the right. And I think a big distinction between someone like Mike Cernovich and Ron Paul, other than, of course, someone being a professional legislator right, and a celebrity rapist, is that his entire premise is hating the left. Why would anyone on the left want to work with someone who literally blames the left for all the ills in the world as much as like Muslims? I mean, that that to me, I don't see any merit whatsoever yeah. in working with someone like that. It's, it's clickbait. I mean, it, it's, it's the same reason, you know, at this point, it's the same reason of deciding to work with Alex Jones, which unfortunately, there are people that I still like and respect who go, still go on his show to get clicks and shit. It would be like us blaming everything and every podcast and everything that we do on the right, on the right, on conservatives, on the right, yeah, on the right. Yeah. And it's like, no, we blame the U.S. empire and like the military industrial complex yeah. and the surveillance state and all these like different yeah. factions that arise from the corporatocracy and the oligarchy. It's extremely bizarre to trivialize these nuanced issues into a left or right paradigm. I like to look at the bigger picture. Yeah, and I think you really get into it, though. Like, one of the really tough spots, obviously, is, like, with libertarian versus, like, sort of, like, hardcore leftists and socialists. Because then, you know, there's so many trendy, like, anarcho-capitalists, like, people now who are, like, that's their focus in libertarianism. So, like, you almost don't, like, I think it's almost impossible at this point to get sort of that, you know, what could have been, like, a sort of, like, green... Right. libertarian alliance like back then i saw it during the ron paul debate when i when this all happened oh no this was actually way before that when someone from the ron paul institute um the guy who basically came on the thread after we were talking to julian assange about how we think that it, you know it's not true that the right has been more actively organizing for anti-war than the left this guy from the Ron Paul Institute was just like, man, I hate communists. He just kept, he just kept basically berating me and saying, man, I fucking hate commies. I hate commies. And I was just like, man, this is so unfortunate because here we are talking about war yeah. and we could actually agree on this. Right. And that's important. But now you're just attacking me for being a commie, a quote commie. And I just felt it was just a really sad, I don't know. It's just, it's just really difficult to like try to build these bridges with anyone yeah, because if it's just going to go to that, it's like, damn dude, I don't, I don't just like immediately be like, you fucking capitalist well, shill. Well, it's the same thing. Dumb as calling someone, capitalist. It's the same thing as calling someone a Nazi. I mean, that's not the same thing as calling someone a Nazi. But to but them, the, it almost well, is. Well, I mean, they, I know. They conflate Nazism and communism But all it's the time. just hyperbolic in the sense that it's like, if you have like socialist um, ideas or 
or subscribe to like that, then you're a communist automatically. And that's how the bad the language has gone distorted. So yeah, it's unfortunate that, I mean, I felt like there used, there was a time period where like people like, you know, us and then libertarians could find a lot more common ground, but you know, in some rare instances, I think it's mostly not there anymore. Yeah. And unfortunately people like this will now, I think they've, they're also swept up in the anti-left hysteria where now it's just the left yeah. is the enemy and it's the just, culture war. It is a culture war for sure. And, that's, and I think that's part of why Trump, even if Trump is a terrible president, that will be his legacy. Right. He'll reinforce fostering some sort of civil war. Yeah. Like if it hopefully doesn't get to a civil war, but at the <laughs> very least he'll be able to like drive like all these dumb ass, like terrible, like, reality tv show clickbait style cultural debates like about bowing at the nfl right. and stuff right like that's turn that into the main yeah that's his legacy i mean I, we were talking about this at thanksgiving but i find it really fascinating the strategies that both parties have taken over the last two years because during the election and even before that we thought the republican party was dead i didn't see how anyone could become a hero um, for these people to stand behind before Trump really mm-hmm. gained that cult following. But it is interesting, their strategy as opposed to the Democrats, they've opened the tent to the nth degree. Mm-hmm. Rapists, pedophiles, sexual assault, um, mm-hmm. anyone, yeah. bigots, everyone's invited and everyone's welcome and we will back you as long as you're a partisan shill. With the Democrats, it's been the complete opposite where they have just increasingly iced out anyone who's remotely left mm-hmm. of center. And I find that really interesting in, in terms of a winning strategy that they can think that that is the solution. It's really sad too, because, and I, we don't have to get into this now, but I was, uh, I don't remember if I was talking about this with you, but just the idea how the Democrats have done that, they've iced people out and they've like indoctrinated like celebrities and mm-hmm. like coastal elitist into also thinking like them, which still doesn't have much of an effect because you can't just like talk down to people forever. Yeah. Like, even it's like so, like, just the fact, like, someone like Michael Ian Black and like all these like LA Hollywood comedians, like, you know, talking about Russia today in the way that they were and stuff. It's like, well, that's just shit the Democrats like tell you to think. Like, most regular people don't even think about that. Yeah. Like, most people wanted Bernie Sanders. Most people want, they don't think that Russia cost Hillary the election. Like, it, I don't care how long the Russiagate stuff goes on. I still, I'm confident enough where I really don't think regular, average, everyday people are going to give a shit. No. So I it's really, not going to matter. And and let's get into that in one second. I wanted to read a couple headlines. Speaking of healthcare, a tragic story. And I'm sure that this is happening every day. It's just that this one happened to become, um, you know, national news. Uh, uh, Shane Patrick Boyle, a founder of a magazine called Zinefest Houston, died on March 18th. Here's the tragic part. He had a GoFundMe campaign set up to pay for his insulin because he ended up being nixed out of his mom's health care. He, he used to be able to go into her health care plan to get his insulin. He, he wasn't able to. I don't know if that had anything to do with the health care stuff going on legislatively. Bottom line, he was rationing his insulin, aged out. That's what happened. He was aged out of his parents' insurance coverage. Um, and trying to pay for his insulin that should be free because healthcare is a human right. Um, he had a GoFundMe campaign and it came up $50 short. So what happened? He didn't get any of the money and he was found dead in his apartment. It's just the most tragic thing. There's so many tragic elements to this, but I think the most disturbing part is that we live in the richest country in the world. 
we spend our money killing people and destroying civilizations. Meanwhile, people are dying from lack of health care. It's really like the crux almost of every single issue. You can really trace it back to health care and lack thereof um, of so many problems in American society and, and all this exceptionalist rhetoric of, you know, why do we have so many gun massacres? Why do we have this? Why do we have that? If we just gave people health care, crime would drastically lower. I mean, there's just it's just a, it's just such a no brainer of why people are so desperate homelessness, et cetera. So it's so tragic that when you look at GoFundMe alone, I think either a billion dollars of what they raised last year or half, um, it might be half a billion or a billion, but whatever, half of everything raised on GoFundMe was for medical expenses last year. So that just says a lot about um, the state of this country. Aside from that, um, the big news about the lion hunting and tax breaks for private jets, which I just think is so funny. It's like all the coal miners in the Rust Belt. This is what they were fighting for, guys. Yeah. Getting those <laughs> private planes so you can go kill more lions and zebras and elephants in Africa to, to lift those. It's like it was almost like a direct gift to just his sons being yeah, like, hey, yeah. guys, have fun, kids. Or other rich assholes who are yeah. just like bored. It's like, who the yeah. fuck has a private jet yeah. and who goes truck? And I love all these assholes like argue like all the people like arguing with like the, you know, right wing Twitter who are obviously poor and they just idolize Trump because they think they're going to be the next millionaire. But trying to justify and rationalize this trophy hunting thing, mm -hmm. being like, no, 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 dude, like you don't know anything about hunting. Like this is how animals are saved. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The th like, this yeah, actually yeah. like helps conservation, bro. Like you don't <laughs> understand. It's like super nuanced. <laughs> um, so it's incredible. I, I just every day it's it's either the deep sea fish are found with plastic in their stomachs for the first time or the methane plumes about to be exploded because of the climate change ice caps or this the trophy thing and all the animals going extinct. Um, and then meanwhile, like you said, the culture war ra rages on on Trump's Twitter. You know, while all these things are passing behind the scenes, like Naomi Klein calls it, calls it um, shock doctrine. It, it absolutely is true where it's overwhelming. Meanwhile, Trump is narcissistically, insanely obsessing about Time magazine and someone lined up his tweets from the last 10 years. He sounds fucking crazy. Yeah. I mean, I was just thinking like, I feel like if we do live in the Matrix... <laughs> That, like we're gonna find out soon. Like we're gonna find out like fairly soon if we really do or not. Because it's just, just getting so insane. Like I don't see how, just like psychologically on a psychological level, like it's true that like it just feels more depressing. I feel like everybody's more depressed because yeah. of how. What? How do we process what's happening? It's so Someone intense. did bring it into a good light though. I was saying this the other day. I was like, man, this is a uniquely depressing time. And someone was like wow, you definitely didn't grow up in the 60s, did you? Because black people didn't have rights. It's like, you. I mean, yes, it is horrible and uniquely terrifying because Trump is our president and it kind of, you know, is very, um, yeah. it just symbolizes so many things that are wrong. But yeah, I mean, it's like we've been in two world wars, like slavery. It's like, the, yes, everything has always been terrible. Yeah. And I think now it's just the influx of... of information overload just makes it That's, seem so much crazier yeah and i think it's the technology is getting more like we're finally we it's like the internet was the biggest thing that happened was invented when we grew up really that was the most exciting technology like it seemed like most like exciting technology like already happened by the time we were born but then shit started to get pretty creepy in the last like four or five years where now it's like 
I mean, like, and then I, I feel like in 10 years, things are going to be very, very surreal. I mean, like, it's already changing the way that we behave. I mean, social media alone is like changes the way we behave with each other, our social interactions. Um, Trump being president during this time is just makes it so intense. I mean, I was literally just listening to an example yesterday of actual voice morphing technology that's finally been made where someone made Trump and Obama say the same sentence in like 20 different ways of saying it, like really slow, sad sounding, happy sounding. It sounded perfect. And it was based on this whole like Google, like neural net deep dream technology where they just have a database of like tons of people talking and then somehow a computer is able to just parse through all the data and like, like there's even something where you can generate imaginary faces now that look photorealistic out of like millions of different faces in a database. Like just random, you can create like new people like randomly generated and they look like totally photoreal. It's, it's, yeah, it's weird shit's happening. And facial recognition now, if you, even if you're wearing a bandana just by your eyes alone, they can now track you. So it's like, I don't even know what the point is of covering your face anymore. Um, and another thing that just, is so depressing is you know you have melania malia what's malia obama like you know her smoking weed which is totally normal and everyone smokes weed to be a national news story over the fact that 305 people were slaughtered in egypt muslims we're talking about muslims it kills me that people talk about islamic terrorism and you know, the threat of Muslims is like, who do you think are the victims of Islamic terrorism? Muslims. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's like hundreds of thousands of Muslims dying every month all around the Middle East, probably in large part due to the U.S. empire's policies in these countries. Mm-hmm. Um, and we just couldn't give less of a fuck. B- b- barely bat an eyelash at the fact that these terrorist attacks are happening all over the Middle East, killing thousands and thousands of Muslims who are the victims of, of, you know, ISIS and all these other groups. So it's just depressing. It's depressing that there's no in-depth analysis about, you know, whether it be Al-Shabaab or how these things um, come to fruition and, and are emboldened in these areas. But here's another really crazy thing for all the, the fans who think that there's some sort of altruism and morality to the U.S. empire's consistent slaughter of innocent people around the world. And for the Trump apologists, um, we already know that Obama was doing his baseball card deck, killing any military age male in the vicinity of a strike region, right? And calling him a terrorist or an enemy combatant. But, uh, and we also know that Trump has just opened the rules of engagement to now just execute and slaughter families and neighborhoods and carpet bomb entire areas of, of the Middle East. So the New York Times of all people... <laughs> As, as much as I hate them, and there's such horrible propaganda in so many ways, you know, good journalism does eke out of these outlets. And that's what's so stupid also about people being like, fake news. It's like, dude, come on. Like, there's hundreds of journalists who are very good who work within these outlets that it's stop being a child. But um, a big New York Times investigation over the last year, starting in April 2006, going until June of this year, visited 150 airstrikes in Iraq after we claimed they were like liberated from ISIS. And this is what they found. Civilian death rates were actually at least 31 times higher than what the US government was reporting, 31 times higher. And the survivors were also called like ISIS, 
like combatants who like got away. And these are like totally innocent civilians followed up again and again and again. And all the people who were killed that were civilians were just classified as ISIS, just straight up. Um, This is a, this is not just like negligence. This is criminality. This is a consistent failure to investigate properly or even attempt to. It's like not even an attempt to try to pretend like these people deserve to die. Um, it's really shocking and it just really exemplifies the flaws of Michael Ian Black or these liberals arguments about how drones are good, how we bend over backwards to somehow avoid civilian casualties, even under Obama. This is the reality on the ground. This is how many people we're killing on a daily basis. 31 times. And this is New York Times numbers. I'm sure it's probably even crazier than this. Well, I think, I mean... Yeah, as, as horrible as all the drone strikes that Obama was doing, as, as horrible as those were, Trump um, seems to be purposely letting the military just do whatever they mm-hmm. want under the cover of darkness. And, like, he's openly lifting, like, the rules of engagement, just even on the battlefield and stuff. So I feel like he's creating a situation, though, where it might come back to bite him in the ass, where he might there might be some, like, war crimes tribunals if it, if he keeps allowing you know more of this stuff to be lifted but because he's making it harder to investigate or they're not keeping records or whatever intentionally who knows what's going to happen and i love how trump people are like whatever like this isn't him this is just the military it's like who do you think he's giving the powers to yeah you think that he has nothing to do with this he said on the campaign trail what what makes you think that he has nothing to do with this please tell me he wants them to be able to like I mean, he's, yeah, his whole thing is letting the military do whatever they want. I mean, that's one of the big dangers of the Trump presidency is he thinks the military's had like their hands tied. Yeah. And, Gotta you know, give him more money. Yeah. If you listen to the last Media Roots episode about the Fox News ISIS um, fear mongering, um, there's so many clips I play in it. Like one of the most disturbing ones is from Lindsey Graham where he's like, again, just se- seems like orgasmic over the fact that. Trump is lifting the regular like rules of engagement and now we can kill the bad guys. Like now we can finally kill the bad guys. Like we're, they weren't allowing us to kill the bad guys before. It's like, what are you, what are you even talking about? We're in like an endless war. <laughs> like what? So got to yeah. kill 60 times the amount of civilians that they're claiming to really get the bad guys. Um, two other really quick headlines before we get into the main meat the gun control argument. I know that we talked about the Vegas massacre and, you know, just discussing how with so many guns in circulation, what's the point of, of really any meaningful gun control? Look, I think that the main point um, of gun control is if someone has a domestic violence record, because it seems like there is a trend with these psychotic people who have like a history of abuse, either familial abuse or, Domestic violence. I mean, this guy, and I won't say his name because I don't want to give him any more fame, who did the massacre in the church, shot 26 people and killed them. What did he, what was he found guilty of? Oh, almost killing his child. His, he almost like cracked his child's skull open, like an infant child. Um, why was he not in prison? Like, how are you just allowed to be out and owning firearms? It's stunning. Yeah. So I just wanted to quickly mention how, and of course, that guy again, Antifa. Everyone from Paul Joseph Watson to the front page of Infowars to probably people in the Trump administration were immediately saying this guy's Antifa and photoshopped a banner on his Facebook page. And that's the narrative now because this guy was, I don't know, had an atheist 
sympathetic like Facebook page to atheism, he's now a violent Antifa leftist. Mm-hmm. So that's the narrative that was set for him. Not about domestic violence, not about how people are, you know, shouldn't own guns if they try to kill their infant babies. Just the fact that he was an, a violent Antifa person. And they never like retracted it either. No, of course not. I mean, they said the same thing after Vegas at verse two. Of course. I think we even discussed this, how Paul Joseph Watson was sitting next to Alex Jones and Alex Jones was like, just got an exclusive like insider source telling me that this like something to do with like an Antifa op and like gun running for like the Obama's Fast and Furious program. And like Paul Joseph Watson was even like cringing like while Alex Jones is reading this, but he was spreading it also for this other shooting is what you're talking about, yeah. the church shooting. So yeah, that just every single time. And it's getting to the point where some of these like alt-right figures that do this clickbait bullshit to just try to rile up their their base, it's getting to the point where they must just think their audience are just all morons yeah. and they're intentionally fooling them because I don't even know if we talked about this, but that Nambla banner they oh unfurled in front God. of that Antifa group. And they like spread it around being like, look at these like Antifa pedo, pedo apologists. And it's like, dude, everyone knows that was a stunt that was done by Cernovich's own people, but yet they still kept p- pumping it out to their own followers as if it was real. And then the, the Antifa super soldier thing that that guy Krang T. Nelson um, made a joke about that they like actually turned into a news story. I mean, it's pretty incredible that, that it just goes to show how little respect they even have for their audience, which exactly. I guess... Maybe it shouldn't be a surprise to me, but it surprises me that they're just getting they're getting low. The bar is getting lower and lower. Like their ethics are just more disgusting over time. I'm just time. thinking how how pathetic must it be to wake up every day and be like, "What can I make a video about today?" And you're like, "I know soy boys." Like, how can I trigger libtards today? Like, soy is making people turn gay. Like, that's Paul Joseph Watson's yeah. big new thing. And it's like, dude. And then meanwhile, all these people found that all the Prison Planet and Infowars supplements all have soy in them. So that's the new thing. And lead. Like, and lead. So, some of them, some one of them tested for lead. Um, yeah, and the, the supplements that Alex Jones sells are very overpriced, too. I mean, even if you're into supplements, they're just like total ripoffs. And he's always so doing these like crazy. gigantic sales. He probably, they're probably like expired ingredients. I mean, I just can't imagine speaking down to people, um, you know, about soy being the most important issue that we should hate the left about. I mean, especially if it's like they're such like Christian, so sexually repressed people to begin with, to even make the argument that soy is like hormonally changing us to be like less masculine is like, well, it's like you, you guys also subscribe to like the no fat you know, no jerk movement, all this other, like other dumb shit. And you're obsessed with pedophilia. Like you have a lot of like weird sexual hangups and like problems that probably like interfere with just you being just like comfortable in your own skin in general. So I don't know if it has anything to do with soy. If you feel more feminine, maybe you're just like not in touch with yourself and you don't like, you need to like, I don't know. It's just weird that that's it just akin to do. It's just like deducing a mass shooting to like a, I mean, it's not as dumb that, that that's way dumber than deducing a mass shooting to a SSRI antidepressant. But people also do that too, you know. That's still a trope. But of oh, course, really? that's the almost like the old Infowars trope. Now they just say it's Antifa. Or it's a false flag. <laughs> yeah, or if it's, it's not false. a false flag, then it's Antifa. Yeah. But, but now it's, it's a false flag that doesn't lead to Trump's doorstep or the federal government. It's a yeah, false flag yeah. <laughs> that doesn't involve Trump, even though all false flags under Obama involved Obama somehow. Somehow the Obama administration still acting 
rogue committing yeah, yeah. mass shootings. Like the Fast and the Furious yeah. program is like still being ran by Eric Holder. It's the same people who their main issue is like obsessing about rejecting gender fluidity as if they are so insecure in their gender that they somehow are obsessed with kids these days saying that gender is not a static thing. It's yeah. such an interesting obsession. It really is akin to the LGBTQ obsession of all these legislative bodies who end up having, you know, anti-gay lawmakers having sex with underage boys, just like that other guy who just came out, same trend. Well, that's why it's so funny when they try to use science. I was actually discussing this with Connor when we did a meteorites episode that they try to use science to dispute the idea of gender fluidity. And they say, well, it's really simple. It's like there's this, these chemicals and like, you know, female hormones and like male hormones and like they are they're biologically like chemically different this is what these like anti-trans sort of like debunkers are trying to say but it's like when you actually look at the science and like you look at hormones and like how they work in the body and stuff they're completely wrong like they're just that the science actually matches more up with like the advocacy movements completely right like science is not binary so just think that like gender like it just it just i mean all their arguments are just so dumb you know, yeah. even when they try to act like we're all out against, you know, the argument of science, it's like still false. I just find it interesting that there's so like our, the vice president of the United States is an evangelical, like fundamentalist, Bible thumping Christian who thinks who believes in fairy tales that are not scientifically possible. And yet and yet he's he's managing the entire world, essentially, because we know he's probably really running shit while Trump's watching Fox um, really quickly about Antifa and the J20. This is um, this is also very disturbing to me because, look, I don't care who these people are. I don't care if, if Antifa really were super soldiers who were smashing the fuck out of all of D.C. and burned down a city block to put people in jail and threaten 200 people who simply were in the vicinity of these people committing vandalism. And that's what it comes down to. 200 plus people, one journalist who were in the vicinity of people committing vandalism are facing 60 years in prison literally for practicing their first amendment rights any there's so much apologism for the J20 um criminalization there's so much there's so many people on the left and the right and then there's just an astounding silence um of people who claim that they're in the resistance and stuff and who are obsessed with Russia and obsessed with hating Trump yet they have not said one thing about this draconian police state criminalization of these protesters who could go yeah. to jail for the rest of their lives this is like shit that you would see in Saudi Arabia i, I mean well, it's they just hate astounding all protesters now every single protester ever that's remotely left wing they hate them every time i po- and i just <laughs> did an matter. interview with Mara Verhaden Hilliard from the from PCJF, she's sued countless, you know, bo- government bodies and won legislation for mass protests and roundups and dragnets that are all illegal. And so she just broke down why this is so dangerous. So for people who actually think that this is a good thing in any remote sense, please watch this interview because it really does explain how even if someone was breaking a window, the majority of these people are being criminalized for being in the vicinity of these people. Um, and and it's, it's it goes beyond even like felony vandalism. It goes to a conspiracy, um, a conspiracy to commit a crime. Why? Because they were wearing black and they were just there. That's their logic. And, and here's the crazy part. A police infiltrator, of course, mm-hmm. 
probably broke the first window. And guess what happened? He was he was one of the organizers. He was in all Holy the pre-planning shit. meetings. Wow. So that's where all the evidence is coming from. This oh guy God. who was a cop who was he probably in, wait, so did he the vandalism. An, he wasn't an informant. He was he was, he like was an actual a straight cop? up cop who was Holy in all the shit, meetings. Dude. dude, these people need to be very careful. Like yeah. what? It's just like stunning that there was even meetings going on with like someone that could potentially be a cop. It's like, dude, you got to close these circles super yeah. small, man. Yeah. I mean, it's crazy. And then, of course, this this guy probably was the the one doing the majority of the vandalism. This is how this shit works. I'm surprised they would meet up. Well, I guess maybe I'm not surprised, but I mean, I'm surprised people don't do stuff like over like tour using like anonymous names. It's just not. It's like people don't like understand how, how, I mean, they probably had no idea that because we, like we've said before, Antifa has always been present in Occupy Oakland stuff and stuff and nothing like this has ever happened to them. So yeah. that's why it's just who could have ever predicted that this would be like such a draconian police state crackdown on and virtually no one's talking about it. So well, I really encourage people to go to defendj20.org and just learn a little bit more about how insane this case is. And it doesn't matter if you hate Antifa and if you think that they're scum. Um, this is insane. And you are an apologist for a police state and you're a fucking bootlicker if you think that this is right. So you really need to learn a little bit about this case before you just spout off on social media about how these people deserve to go to prison for their entire lives. Are you getting comments like that? Yes. Every wow, time I post so this interview, dumb. it's a million people being like, they deserved it. They belong in prison. They did this. They did that. Holy and I was like, shit. so you are apologizing for a 70 year jail sentence about someone who literally was in the vicinity of someone breaking a window. That's and even nice. if you broke a window that you support someone going to jail for 70 years because you broke a window. Oh Go to Greece, God. dude. Go to Anarchist Square in Greece. I know. That's what I always, I mean, I, I haven't been there myself, but I mean, when I, when people, even in, during Occupy Oakland, when shit was getting broken, as dumb as I thought some of those black block actions were, like when they would break yeah. windows and stuff, um, I, you know, I, uh, it was like so much on a lower scale than like serious street actions in other countries. Um, way, way lower level. So it's just like, if you're this upset over this, like, can you imagine if this is like a serious protest? Like (laughs) you wouldn't, you just wouldn't, you'd probably move or something, but yeah, people got super upset when that limo in DC was set on fire. Um, or, or like when people broke a bunch of police cars recently, I saw this, it, it was like supposedly like BLM vandalism or something where they broke a bunch of police cars and I don't remember if it was in Chicago or Detroit, but somebody vandalized a bunch of cop cars and people were like, you know, I hate cops too, but this is... You're taking it too far now, man. Yeah, it's like... I this mean, is what happens when you have when you have a society this screwed up as ours and when you have inequality at an all-time high and when you have half the country literally living in literal poverty and they don't have more than $500 in their bank account and they're living paycheck to paycheck, what do you think is going to happen Obviously, there's going to be a huge disaffected youth lashing out at the system. Yeah. But I mean, I guess my only counter argument Antifa here is I do feel like it is, it's weird. I mean, it still weirds me out that, you know, what are our street radical activists like tend to get the most upset about? And it it bugs me. It's like Milo, Milo didn't deserve that big of a in my opinion, like that big of an uproar where they like almost burnt down like the front of like UC Berkeley. I mean, like, yeah, he's a piece of shit and I don't think he should be speaking at UC Berkeley, but like, I just think that 
it is a I I do you know I do think some people in Antifa are too wrapped up into identity politics like they're not anarchist enough for me or socialist enough like they some of them I do think have neoliberal tendencies but again it's not an organization I don't know who most of these people are out here I've met some of them um, I don't see eye to eye at them politically but I mean whatever you know they don't deserve I mean people who are involved in those DC protests or even if you were an Antifa member unless you're being arrested for assault, like hitting someone over the head or something like where it's like an individual like brawl, it's just, yeah, it's completely disproportionate and it's fucked up. And if you believe in civil liberties, even if you hate, you know, even if you're like a libertarian who like hates Antifa, you should at least get behind like, you know, the civil liberties of these people. Like they don't deserve to be getting this harsh of a sentence. It's That's what I'm saying. It's like, where are the civil libertarians here? Yeah, that's, Um, that's what's surprising is it seems like you know, they've generated so much hatred about the left that even like libertarians mm-hmm. are like getting sucked into that rabbit hole. And that I keep telling people who tell me this is justified. I'm like, I could have been there. Does that mean anything to you? It could have been any of us because yeah, literally been... I was two blocks away. I mean, it, they don't care. They, they dragnetted journalists. There's yeah, a journalist did. on trial. Yeah, that's so what's... I don't understand where you're drawing the line here. Like, I don't think any of it's justified, but if you're going to go with that, then it makes no sense. The logic is total garbage. Let's move on to Russia, net neutrality, all this stuff, starting with Michael Ian Black, one of my former favorite comedians. I love the state. I love the rickadictic on on uh, Tom Goes to the Mayor. Love Thomas Lennon. Love Reno 911. I loved Michael Ian Black. He's hilarious. He, you know, I thought he was great. I love all those guys. Tim Heidecker, Eric Wilhelm, my brother and I are very big fans of that. Um, all those comedians, we followed all their work for a very long time. And unfortunately, a lot of these comedians have bought wholesale into the Russia Gate narrative. But still, I mean, that a lot of people have. So it's not enough to just be like, oh, I'm going to write them off, you know? So that's why it was really funny the way that this Twitter argument unfolded. This woman named Jenna Friedman tweeted... And people with verified accounts, you obviously, I wasn't following or anything. I just saw it pop up and I got extremely offended because as someone who's been through the ringer for working for Russia today, called everything under the sun, paved an editorial freedom there, was able to speak out and still keep my job and see this um, hyperbolic, hysterical narrative being painted about the network. I just, you know, it's just astounding to see it getting worse and worse. This woman named Jenna Friedman, who was a Daily Show writer not currently, was, said randomly, RT is a Russian propaganda tool. Any Americans who work for the network should at least own up to that. Dear friends who work at Redacted Tonight, don't be useful idiots to a country that censors speech and kills journalists. You're smart and talented and could get work elsewhere. That killed me because as someone who knows Lee personally, who you know introduced Lee to the network and, and worked with him for so long, I, he's the greatest guy in the world. I love him. Um, and I know how difficult it is, especially like I'm sure in his fellow comedic circles as a co- let's just say this aside, a journalist working for RT. That's another that's even another issue. He's a comedian. He has a comedy show on RT. And you're going to say this shit to him and call him out like this and be like, you're a useful idiot, Lee. Like I'm saying this as your friend. It is so humiliating and awful what she did i just couldn't help it i was like why do you think you have the moral high ground like the daily show treats genocidal maniacs like eric prince and bush like like old sages i was like you dutifully serve u.s 
propaganda while having the cover of being just comedians. Lee has never done that. So she got berated um, because a lot of people think like us, Robbie, like you're saying, not everyone believes in the Russiagate thing. And so these generic elitist liberals who are super rich and wealthy and do not hang out with poor people, don't hang out with people of color, probably, they literally live in a bubble. Like that is 100% true. They probably live in fucking um, Chelsea in Manhattan, you know, and just like hang out with their friends and they just talk about Russia and... And so this girl is just the the epitome of just the worst kind of liberal who has the audacity to call out my friends publicly as comedians at that and say, like, you're a useful idiot. Like, you need to, like, quit, you useful idiot. Without calling them by name either. She, like, it's like she mentioned the show. Yeah. Which is, like, extra snidey. It's like, well, at least give them the chance to respond and, like. You know, you have like way more. I mean, I don't know how many. Actually, she doesn't have way more. She followers had like thirty thousand. Yeah, yeah, Lee's I mean, got Lee's yeah, got a pretty big yeah. following now. But she could not believe that someone also from the left like immediately lambasted her, and then it was just hundreds and hundreds of people jumping in. But here's where it gets to Michael Ian Black. Michael Ian Black, of all people, as we're having this discussion with this Daily Show writer, comes in the thread and says, "It is worth worth noting if Abby Martin can say." that Putin kills journalists. At the very least, this is exactly what he said, at the very least, it's worth Abby Martin answering the question if Russia assassinates its political opponents and if she would say so publicly. And I was just like, wait a minute. And it was so weird because I was on a plane ready to go to Colombia, and I was like, hold on, this is very surreal. One of my favorite <laughs> comedians is now like, like calling me out publicly saying I cannot say that Putin kills political opponents. It's like such a bizarre straw man. And also, like, so weird. It's, it's like, almost what like do you a even Jamie. Kurt, it's almost like something yeah. straight out of Jamie Kurchick's mouth. It is. It's like such out of left field. Right. Like, wait, what? Yeah. And that's why I was like, ding, ding, ding. I was like, wait a minute. This is so funny. I was like, wait, Michael Ian Black. I just remembered something else funny about him. He wrote a book with John McCain's family. His daughter, Megan McCain, wrote an actual book with Michael Ian Black a couple years ago. What was the book about? Normalizing John McCain. Talking about those funny dinners that they sat through. Talking about how how kooky he is. How we should all normalize his insane, rabid, bloodthirsty neoconservatism and throwing the military at every goddamn problem in the Middle East. Normalizing that and saying, let's find our common ground with these people let's work with them and how the quirky little tour that they took across the country and how fun it was um so i just was like look dude like you 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 know just in so many words i won't read this whole twitter tirade you can read it yourself we'll post it on the the timeline but i basically was like do you denounce war crimes or are you too busy planning another book tour with john mccain's daughter um because he because he did and here's the problem with these people is after this started and after i called out him and this and his friend jenna um they got so trounced by hundreds of real people who are progressives and leftists who don't buy into the russiagate thing who are saying you guys are morons who actually believe in like a huge conspiracy theory that has no legs they were so discombobulated by this attack that backfired because again they started it yeah Jenna started it by calling out Lee and Michael Ian Black decided to jump in the thread with his 2 million followers who I actually think mostly are bots because I find it fascinating that you can have 2 million followers who literally couldn't give less of a fuck about what you have to say. No one jumped in on his obsessive tirade yeah. against me for a week. No one. Well, that's um, the... So emphasize like that for a second. Bots, he dude. did it for... So after this started, all this took place like within a day where you're talking yeah. about. And then Michael Ian Black continued for over a week 
Yes. Going on Twitter, like normally when I All like day. insult a celebrity, they don't respond to me. Right. But Michael Ian Black, I jumped in the argument and I and Lee sort of, you know, credit due to Lee, he found the clip of uh Michael Ian Black on RT before you got on the network promoting his book with Megan McCain. So Lee was like, hey, look what I found. So I tweeted that and I was like, My, why doesn't Michael Ian Black, or just said something about like, why doesn't he mention the fact that he went on RT? And then like he immediately responded and he just like would immediately respond every time I would respond back to him. And I'm like, dude, don't you have like, I mean, are you more busy than me right now? Like it just right. seemed, he was like responding to everybody. He was on Twitter for almost a whole week straight. And here, and this is the most fascinating part is that it, he changed the goalpost after he realized quickly who I was and that I had actually denounced Putin, a high profile, de- profile denunciation, paved editorial freedom, told him I didn't get fired. Then it became about my credibility separate from RT. So it became a very bizarre obsession where first it was about RT not being credible and Lee's a shill. And it still was about Lee, how he can't call out Putin or whatever, which is bullshit. But then it just became obsessively like nuanced attacking me and every single person who interacted with me telling them Abby's not a credible journalist. Now I'm just concerned about her credibility. It's like, why do you think I was grown in a lab, like a Russian lab? And I'm like a Tokyo Rose where I'm just like infiltrating like alternative media. It's like, why are you so obsessed with me? Even though I haven't worked for RT for three years. Like, how does that have anything to do with you being proven wrong about your initial point? And so it just became really fascinating to see him change the goalpost to then obsessively try to get everyone who interacted with me to denounce me. And it didn't work. It still didn't work. Dude, only like two people were like, yeah, that's that's crazy that she like said that stuff 10 years ago. Like, man, I love you, Michael. Please don't be mad at me. Um, but most of the people, I'd say 99% of the people were just like, Michael, you look insane. Yeah. Why are you doing this, dude? And, like, multiple people would just be like, hey, dude, like, I totally agree, RT, like, this deserves to be discussed. Like, let's talk about it. And then he'd, and then he'd respond being like, hi, thank you. Um, ha- do you have any comment on Abby's PSYOP re-education report from 2012? And they'd just be like, dude, you are, something's wrong with you. He just kept repeating it over yeah. and over again. It's like, talk about trolls and bots. He mm-hmm. did, I ha- actually screen capped it. I have, I have very little free time, so I didn't actually have time that week to put together his hundreds of tweets about me into like a hilarious collage like I wanted to, saying like, look at I found a bot. Because it really was the same thing over and over again, him being re-education psyops report, yeah, yeah. re-education psyops report, psyops yeah, report. Yeah, yeah. Hello, I'm Michael. Hello, thank you. Re-education <laughs> psyops report. I was like, damn, like I wish that I did have time because it would have been a funny thing i don't know what the hell happened but something happened that super hit you hard that you spent the lot the next week on twitter and you have a family it's like you have kids and i thought a job i mean maybe he just maybe he can't even get work with vh1 anymore i mean i don't know it's really strange robbie yeah i mean it was really strange to see how he wouldn't stop um he finally stopped almost a week later um but i just was fascinated by how upset he seemed um and it was obvious that he was really affected by the fact that he just you know lost big time like the the whatever battle he was trying to wage on twitter he wouldn't stop um but i also i don't know like i've followed him long enough to think that he does like recently it seems like he thinks that he can like engage in like political comedy like he posts a lot of like political tweets. Like he ma- he tries to make like generic like anti-Trump you know tweets like part of his joke routine now. 
and stuff. And he goes on Fox News sometimes to like talk politics and like make political jokes. And I remember watching him on there. And even though I'm a big fan of his, like I, you know, going back a long time. Yeah, I was like cringing as I was watching this way before we got in this spat with him on Twitter. Um, and I was just like, Ooh, he doesn't, he doesn't really know what he's talking about. And he's just not funny with the, like, he doesn't know how to make funny political jokes. Like it, to me, it takes an extra amount of skill, which Lee obviously has. He's been, you know, Lee has a very good political sensibility and he's been doing political comedy for a long time. So like just in that sense alone and, and on top of that, Michael Ian Black, this is sort of a weird thing too. Most comedians who are standups really take pride in and being a stand-up and they look down on other comedians who are like, say like sketch actors or movie actors who start doing stand-up comedy because it's like at that point, it's like, Oh, you're kind of like cheating. You didn't build up an audience based on your stand-up and you're kind of like not a real stand-up comedian. Michael Ian Black kind of did that. It was weird. Like he was never a stand-up comedian, but he put, he did like a special, he got like a Netflix stand-up comedy special, which there's been stand-up comedians in the business for like three or four times longer than him that have never had a special offered to them. And I just thought it was like, yikes. Like, I bet you there was other comedians who were like, that motherfucker like is not funny. He's like, yeah, not good enough. I mean, I'm he's sorry. He's more of a sketch comedy actor than like yeah, a he's stand-up great. comedian. It's sketch yeah. comedy. I'll give yeah. him that. But his stand-up comedy shit is awful. Oh my God. It's, and it's almost like he's doing like a, you know how Michael Ian Black is really good at doing that like fake smarmy character? Yeah, yeah. Or like a childlike yeah, little character. Yeah, right? He does it on talk shows, which some kind mm-hmm. of t- kind of works. Like I saw him on Colbert recently, where he's kind of playing this smarmy version of himself. But on stage doing stand up, he like does like almost like I can't tell if he's doing that or, or he's acting him. like himself. Right. And it made me uncomfortable and it was just terribly executed. The special. <laughs> so I was just like watching it like with this weird kind of like tightness in my stomach, thinking like is this going to turn into like a more conceptual thing or is this just him doing like a bland, like almost like, almost like someone attempting to do like Jim Gaffigan, almost like clean family comedy that like Jim Gaffigan would like just absolutely destroys. Like it was just bizarre. Like I, I didn't know what to make of it. So when all this is happening, I couldn't help but think, wait, maybe Michael Ian Black is just like jealous of the fact that Lee, he maybe watched one of Lee's videos and he sees Lee has like a very devoted, like seriously passionate following, which even if you have 2 million followers and you've been in the comedy business for a while, you, you know, I mean, yeah, you probably get retweets from people on your political tweets, but you don't have like a passionate, devoted following, you know, of like your, what you do. They're more just like fans of you when you go on TV and stuff. It's like, you're a funny guy, but Lee actually has like a devoted following of like seriously politically engaged people who also think he's funny. And it just almost seemed like a weird, like jealousy thing for how like much it hit him. And the fact that you came at him too, where it's like, I mean, you guys both utterly destroyed this Jenna Friedman character and him to the extent where, yeah, it just seemed like he was like deeply personally hurt and wouldn't let it go. And that's why he wanted to like try to smear you with this old Alex Jones shit you did um, on, on RT. Yeah, it was my first week on RT. Yeah. Of course, I was naive as hell. I absolutely think Alex Jones is one of the worst human beings on the planet. And I think he's disgusting and super damaging and, and really has and aided and abetted Trump. Ago. This is five years five ago. Five years ago. So we did this dumbass interview, which of course is embarrassing looking, you know, looking back on it. It's like there's a lot of things that I'm, that I, um, evolved from in my original political beliefs and awakening. 
Um, but yeah, the, the whole report that he kept hammering on about hundreds of times on Twitter acting like a bot um, was about me interviewing Alex Jones about this document, a real government document about the potentiality of having like camps, you know, police state camps or whatever. It's just like a typical Alex Jones thing. So it's just hilarious um, that he's zeroed in on that. And and I just stopped engaging because I was like, this is so insanely trolly. And also, I don't owe Michael Ian Black anything. Like, I don't need to answer about any of my work. And I have a multitude of times on our podcast that people can listen to explaining our evolution, our political evolution. Here's the real crux of it, though. This is why even after getting eviscerated, this Jenna Friedman girl and him, there was no self-reflection. They honestly thought we were all bots. Yeah. Immediately. And, and if you looked at like right after Russian they got bots. eviscerated, Russian bots. So that is so bizarre that both Jenna and Michael Ian Black just deferred immediately to we are getting abused by a torrent of Russian bots. This is how sophisticated Russians are. That anyone who disagrees with our narrative must be a Russian bot. And, and, and just the, the sheer amount, the hundreds, if not thousands of responses telling them very intelligently, actually, some of these arguments were just indestructible and very obviously real people living in this country who have very real problems. To be called a bot and to be dismissed, like you're just a robot working for Putin. And, and not even have any affiliation with RT. Like, I'm used to that because I worked for RT. Yeah. But to just be like a normal person, like that girl, lumpy mashed potatoes or whatever, I thought she was hilarious. She kept making these gifts. And she was just like, she was like, show me on a doll where Putin hurt you, Michael. <laughs> she was like, good God, Putin has no effect over my life. I'm disabled living in my parents' basement on disability mm -hmm. because I can't afford an apartment because I don't have health care. She's like, that, that's not Putin. Like, how enraging for people who literally are suffering under the system to have these like coastal elites who live in Chelsea, who have nannies and who are getting giant payouts from Sierra Mist to tell them they're a bot and they're insignificant. Well, yeah, I mean, it's, it's pretty sad, but I, I guess the silver lining here is that no one from their sort of celebrity, you know, even comedian circle, like jumped in and like supported what they were, either of them were saying. And I'm like, I started following Michael Ian Black around that same time period. Um, and there's people who like his political tweets all the time. Like when he's like talking shit about Trump and stuff, like Tim Heidecker likes his tweets, Vic Berger, all these other comedians and nobody uh, liked or favorited or we treated anything on one hand yeah it's really dangerous how much this russiagate propaganda is like making people get into this frenzy and this conspiracy about russia being behind everything but i also think it's a it shows also that only certain people you know maybe have been like in the sort of that circle that celebrity liberal circle have been completely infected by it like back when this first happened to you when like journalists mm -hmm. were trying to like you know, throw you under the bus for working for RT. Like that was before all this like propaganda came out, you know, anti-Russian propaganda. And that makes more sense, but it's especially bizarre to think that there's like celebrity comedians who are now feeling compelled to like talk shit about other comedians, you know, in the scene. Well, Lee specifically. Um, that's just weird. You can't have a comedy show on a, on a foreign network without being... You know, without without having to denounce Putin yeah. killing political opponents. It's just the weirdest thing to me. And comedians usually have a lot of camaraderie and even ones who are like not, you know, on the left, like have camaraderie with ones on the right. And it's weird 
that they would that would be their like something they would get upset at another comedian for. Like I haven't seen them talk shit to other comedians who are right wing. What's that guy's name who does the Gorka impression? Uh, that comedian. I mean, like I know he listens to Media Roots. Like there's probably other comedians who listen to our show too. So it's like for someone like Michael Ian Black and the, and her to have the gall to think this is like the consensus, like. There's a lot of comedians who are quote unquote woke out there who actually like know what's going on and they're just not like putting politics out on the internet, but they like listen and pay attention to shit. I'm going on and including celebrities, like celebrities who've reached out to you Mm -hmm. to think that there are these sort of like celebrity elites who think that everyone thinks like them because they are in a bubble is really sad. Should we, should we just get into the net neutrality Russia stuff since we're on that yeah. Tracked and end with the other sexual assault stuff. Okay, yeah. so so let's get We're into about an hour and twenty minutes in. So I maybe don't know, maybe we, okay. we can save the sexual assault yeah, for a second. Okay, so we were gonna do another update on all the sexual assault stuff that's come out since we did our last podcast, but we're gonna save that for our next one. Hopefully, we can do another short podcast while I'm up up here, Robbie, before I leave. But um, we wanted to do just again going off the RussiaGate stuff, the censorship, and net neutrality. Net neutrality has been an issue that we've been really passionate about for the last decade. The concept is very simple. It's it's the egalitarian nature of the internet. It's everyone has free access. It's the concept of how the internet has proliferated in the way that it has equal opportunity for all, equal access for all. You know, no ranking, no search preferences, no throttling. Um, et cetera, et cetera, like very basic, like common carrier, um, principle. And so under the FCC, this is where it gets a little bit confusing. There's two classifications. One classification is titling the internet as a utility. So basically being under the regulation of the FCC, like you can't give preferential treatment to certain websites. You can't do this. You can't throttle, Netflix to people who aren't paying more, you know what I mean? Like you can't tier the internet for people who are richer and who can get better access. Basically, that's the premise of net neutrality. And unfortunately, Trump's disgusting FCC chairman, Ajit Pai, just a total Sinclair shill. So of course he just he just said, you know, this is really hurting the marketplace. So what do we need to do? We need to overturn the classification of, of the internet as a utility and make it change it from title two to title one. So it's very confusing. Basically, all you need to know is net neutrality is good. And anyone who opposes net neutrality is either like a telecom lobbyist or like a bot. And literally you can see it from the opening the message board. Um, In the second iteration of this, this feedback, they found that like over 50%, I don't know how many actual millions of comments, but, um, but a shitload of comments were astroturfing bots against net neutrality. So the FCC pretended and had the illusion like they were opening this process just like under Obama and that they were like, hey, what do you know? Like half the people just disagree with net neutrality. Like, sorry, guys. And then it turns out that the overwhelming amount of them were literal bots saying the exact same message with like keyword like um, wingdings and stuff in them. But and they're blocking the investigation to, to expose the fact that this is obviously like an astroturf operation by some telecommunications like firm, <laughs> like extremely obvious, you know? So it's just disgusting. And when you get into net neutrality as a concept, even though I, I've fought for this for the last 10 years and I staunchly believe in it, here's the actual problem is that net neutrality has been already dead. 
And there's several reasons why. I mean, look no further than social media and search algorithms and the ranking of pages already. This is a quick story from Project Censored from their 2016 book, is that um, search algorithms have already been proven to completely... um, basically erode the concept of net neutrality years ago. It's different than watching Fox News versus CNN or choosing what news you are engaging and digesting. This is totally different. You have no idea what kind of backdoor tech firm is is determining or deliberating what search ranking preferences are going on these articles and why. So what this firm found, and I encourage everyone to check it out, they studied 4,500 undecided voters in the U.S. and India. And this is well before... Um, the election, Russia stole the election thing. They were already predicting this two years ago, saying this could drastically inform like, and change our democracy at a fundamental level without people even realizing it because it could sway so many opinions. And it's, and it's the opposite of what we think. Oh, Russia influenced the election? No, Google is deciding what you think. Oh, and even Google responded to this really quickly. Google responded to the study saying, here's the key word, He said, there's no truth to this hypothesis that Google could work secretly to influence election outcomes. Google has never re-ranked search results on any topic to manipulate user sentiment. Do you see how he did that? Re-ranked. Yeah. It doesn't talk about the initial ranking. Yeah, the algorithm. The algorithm. Yeah. That's the problem. Who are these tech bros deciding who have no journalistic credibility or integrity whatsoever to decide the uh, to decide how we're going to filter our news, Robbie, when you have way more 90% of internet searches are on Google. 90 or I'm sorry, as high as 90% in some countries, more than 75% of online searches in the US are conducted on Google. Isn't that incredible? And talk about how yeah. Eric Schmidt is now just openly admitting that they're going to now re-rank. <laughs> Eric Schmidt uh, was at some <clears throat> some like uh, weird conference where he was being given this really long interview. And about a year ago, um, it was announced. I'm not sure who made the announcement, if they actually had an organization already set up or not. But um, there was an announcement made by someone that there was going to be a joint board between people from Google that included Eric Schmidt, Mark Zuckerberg from Facebook, people from Snopes, and people from the Washington Post, and I think maybe the New York Times as well. I'm not absolutely sure, but they were all joining together to form this board to combat uh, fake news. Um, And this was a year ago this was announced, which already seemed really ominous in and of itself. That's not a, that sounds really bad. Facebook already started talking about deranking or filtering out fake news or whatever. But Eric Schmidt, um, extremely recently, I think just a little under a week ago, um, was asked uh, what they're going to do with, um, you know, with like fake news um, or or Russian propaganda going through Google's networks. Um, And Schmidt said, we're well aware of this one and we're working on detecting this kind of scenario you're describing and deranking those kinds of sites. It's basically RT and Sputnik, Schmidt added. We're well aware and we're trying to engineer the systems to prevent it. It's just insane to admit that. He says, we don't want to ban the sites. That's not how we operate. I am strongly not in favor of censorship. I am very strongly in favor of ranking. It's what we do, which is really interesting because anybody who's like buying a lot of like advertising on Google and works with Google and spends a lot of money to try to like get ranked on their pages or whatever, like they're all aware, well aware of the fact that it is in some ways like a pay to play system. 
like the more ad space you buy and shit, it's kind of like Yelp. Like in the same way that like Yelp will help you remove like negative reviews. Like if you're a gigantic corporation or something and, you know, you spend a lot of money with Google, they'll, they'll help you out with their algorithms. It's, I mean, or just like your rankings, like it's, we don't really know what, how they decide how things are ranked because we can't see their algorithms, but at the same time, like they probably personally go in there and like fiddle with the rankings all the time on other things. So that's the, that's weird. I mean, we really have no idea, but the fact that he's openly admitting to doing it for them is extremely bizarre because they're not supposed to talk about how they do that. He's not even saying they'll have like an algorithm an that filters it out. to like the state. Yeah, they just derank it specifically. But it, I mean, even weirder, I don't think it's an acquiescence to the state because the state's not asking them to do it. But almost like the consensus. It's like, That's what is scarier to me about right. it. That's what's more McCarthy right. about it because it's like this consensus that Russia did this, even if like the Trump administration, and the federal government aren't reinforcing it from the other end. It's still stronger enough, strong enough propaganda where a company like Google can make a decision like that based on like the political climate, which yeah. is a false political or just a false narrative. And we know it is. And like you said, Mark Zuckerberg also did a 180 disturbingly first coming out and saying fake news wasn't a factor and it was infinitesimal. Yeah. And now he's saying, oh, by the way, it was totally a factor. You're absolutely right. Fake news really did have an influence in the election. And we're going to really crack down on fake news. I mean, what the hell does that mean? And this is really biz bizarre, too. And, like, I didn't know this exactly. We already knew that Mark Zuckerberg somehow, like, had a private phone call with Obama, like, right early in his presidency, which is weird enough to us. And then it probably re regularly happened. We don't know about what. But we do know now it's been revealed in an article that came out just, just recently, late September, um, on CNBC. The headline is, Obama personally had a meeting with Zuckerberg to stress to him the danger of fake news. Um, right after the election. So right after Trump won, Obama wasn't technically president anymore. Well, I guess he's, he still is until Inauguration Day, right? Yeah. So he's technically still president. Um, Trump won, and he calls Mark Zuckerberg to a personal meeting to discuss with him the dangers of fake news. Um, and at that time... Apparently, Mark Zuckerberg didn't take it seriously enough. He was publicly mocking the idea of it. So what's changed between then and now? Um, I don't know, because even in these hearings, I mean, this is one of the weird things. After Reg RT had to register as a foreign agent, which is a big deal, they don't make other foreign news APAC outlets register as a foreign agent. Or like yeah, actual foreign, foreign lobbying groups. groups. No. <laughs> um, so that's really crazy. Um, but... All these social media companies like Twitter, Facebook, and Google, which isn't a social media company, um, came into the Russiagate hearings um, over the course of several days. And they didn't really get grilled as much as they just got asked a lot of detail about, you know, how much Russian ads or fake news was going through your channels. But mostly it just seemed like they were coming in there and they already had all this like pre-made stuff which was trying to build the case that Russia interfered with our election. Like there are, it was like already obvious that they are like all these people from social media companies, like from Twitter and Facebook were coming in there with already the agenda that they thought Russia interfered with the election. It was not like a, 
witness being like brought on to testify. It was very odd. Like, you know, as if there is some kind of, I don't know. I mean, it doesn't seem organic to me, you know, it never does to me, but like that there is some kind of think tank or shadow group that sort of organizing this kind of stuff and is bringing these people together. Like, talk about this. I mean, if it's not just a body to fight fake news, it feels like something else. And I don't know, you know, I don't know if all these social media companies are getting together with, you know, Democrats or, you know, these neoliberals or these think tanks. I don't know what's going on, but it just seems very artificial. Yeah. And this is, this is, again, like this is the censorship that's already happening. So I don't want to minimize the net neutrality fight at all, but it's very important to see how this has already been happening and how the censorship is being um, laid out from all these different forums already. The Google thing is definitely the scariest to me because I feel like Facebook is almost irrelevant. Like we all know how it's, you can't really get real news from there, but the Google thing is terrifying. It really is. Um, and what does that translate to? The thing is we don't know. And and I never remember to sign out of all my Gmail accounts before using Google, you know, like what, it's just sad. Um, even the people who are the most aware of, of exactly what's going on still fall prey to having Google determine what I see. Yeah. And I talked to someone, I mean, interestingly, Google also is a very secretive, they have a lot of like secretive um, shit going on there where even employees, it's like a lot like Apple, their non-disclosure agreements are very thorough. People in one part of the company don't know what the other part's doing. Everything's very compartmentalized. Um, they're building a nuclear bomb. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they're building, they're, they're working on quantum computing, which is a kind of a creepy, scary concept. Um, or it's based on like the Heisenberg uncertainty principle to some extent, like the idea of making like quantum speed computers. I mean, but the deep dream thing to me is creepy in and of itself, but they have already sort of outsourced or open sourced their technology for that. So I'm like less worried that they're going to be able to like really make use of that to do something evil, but someone will. I mean, if MIT is already doing voice morphing, where you can talk as Trump and Obama and it sounds perfect, then yeah, shit's, I mean, it's kind of over at this point. Like I think all that technology can be used for evil, evil. Oh no, absolutely. And just a, just to wrap it up in an extremely depressing little cherry on the cake here is that the abysmal failure of, of the media, the state of journalism, how it's so antithetical to capitalism, you know, Everything about why corporate media is so bad and the merger and the consolidation of all these conglomerates and telecommunications act and the we used to have 20 corporations and now we have five. It's going to get even worse because this deal that was just lifted under the new FCC chairman dusted off the shelf some <laughs> thing that prevented even further consolidation, if you can believe it. So now really... You know, we all hear under communism, you could all get bread from the same person. It's like under capitalism, you all get your news from Amazon. It's like, <laughs> it's just going to consolidate into literally just one company. So now this deal is now going to allow Sinclair to have access to almost three quarters of the entire market when before they were only allowed at a cap of like 40%. It's going to almost double under this. Um, and that And that just paves the way now for the mergers of radio, television, newspapers, it, it lifts the merger blockade. It's going to be a, a, a real tough road ahead for media consolidation, for net neutrality, for the censorship online, the search algorithms. Um, 
it's tough and it's important to realize that these things have already been in place and enacted and we have to start building our own platforms, lifting each other up, lifting the voices up that we know are getting downvoted or backpaged. Um, just be aware and be acute and also just explain to your friends and families and coworkers about what the reality is online so we can navigate carefully with understanding, you know, what lies ahead. Thank you for listening to Media Thanks Roots so much Radio. for listening, you guys, to Media Roots Radio. Um, thank you so much to all of our donors on Patreon. We are incredibly appreciative of all your support, all of your feedback, um, critical and not uh, social media on iTunes and SoundCloud. We really appreciate it. Thanks so much. I hope everyone had a great Thanksgiving. I hope everyone trounced their relatives. Vote okay. or die, guys. All right. Thank you so much yeah. for listening, you guys. Talk to you soon. Be.